0: Welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, finance, risk, and wherever else the waves take us. This episode is brought to you by Workiva, the risk, reporting, compliance, and winter storm-ready platform that simplifies your complex work. Check it out at workiva.com slash podcast. My name is Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast, Diet Coke aficionado, and today's host, and I'm looking forward to debiting a great conversation, and I'm very glad to have you hanging 10 with us. Joining us today is our co-host, Catherine Sai. Catherine, can you please tell the fine folks at home who you are?
1: I'm not an accountant or Diet Coke aficionado, but I like asking questions, learning new things, and writing about it later, so I'm here to learn.
0: Thank you, Catherine. So you and I often talk about accounting and SEC reporting on this podcast, of course, but recently we've been talking about how much all of this stuff really matters and whether it matters at all. For example, 10Ks are the annual financial reports that companies file with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and are usually focused on pretty wonky financial reporting matters, but lately have started to include much broader messaging from CEOs. We've also been talking about how much the underlying accounting in these 10Ks even matters, since accounting valuations seem to be very different from how the market values these organizations.
1: And to break it all down, we brought in podcast recidivist Nick Mazing from Centio.
2: Uh, yeah, you're seeing companies, and you know, obviously, it's a, still a kind of a small, small uh, uh, subset of companies. But you, you're seeing companies uh, using the ten K filing as an opportunity to highlight uh, their CEO letters, and it's you know, it's one very high-profile example. J P Borwick has a uh, dedicated press release saying that the. Uh, uh, their CEO's letter Jay, uh, uh, Jamie Dimon's letter is available it's, it's a sizable document like the, the CEO letter itself is 66 pages and I, I, I recommend to anybody who probably learn more from it than from your average business book uh, I, I, I love reading it uh, uh, every year so uh, it is something that I think is uh, uh, happening and a company should probably consider if, if they have that already highlighting that as a way as a companion document
1: What's going on here with all of these CEO letters? Are people trying to become the next Warren Buffett? I mean, a 66 page letter, I don't know if I could get through it all.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, the why really is, is, is the more interesting question. So uh, I, I can see a few reasons here. So uh, number one is, is the 10K is probably too technical for many stakeholders, including m- most employees and probably most customers. Uh, a more conversational document like a letter can serve as a as a bridge between you know to 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 help with the understanding of the strategy execution competition regulation many other uh, relevant factors because you can add details that are not necessarily uh, you know ten k worthy and yet they're they're important so and you know a a, a widely shared uh, letter from a CEO it, it just really serves as a great marketing for the CEO herself or himself
1: a 66 page letter again seems so long but maybe this is a good time to talk about technology and whether that's played a part in some of these CEO letters too because I'm thinking of a platform like yours Nick Centio if you have a 66 page letter normally if you're reading it on your own that takes a really long time but if you've got like a powerful search engine maybe it takes a little bit less time to get through
0: and maybe it's an opportunity to intentionally put in, right, phrases or, or buzzwords or other things that you know are going pick, to get picked up by that technology, right? <laughs> Uh, it it uh, natural language
2: processing is in fact a cat and mouse game, and you see this quite a bit. You see it a lot more on the transcripts because obviously the IR teams are are very careful with what they put, especially in the prepared remarks, because they know that the robots are listening. And it's it is uh, uh, always very interesting to see how language changes. So you may see something like, "Oh, that's a great question," or or something like that, which might improve sentiment scoring, as you know, people are are. It's it it's it, it, it's very interesting. I I, I think uh, uh, looking looking at what's been happening with sentiment is it's one of the more dynamic uh, uh, places. But yes, the I I think the CEO letters are are a part of that, right? You you have to market to investors, potential employees, and so on.
0: And it seems like Nick and and to be clear for our audience, there are things that are I would say popular right now, like climate change or human capital disclosures. Those are actually mandated disclosures by the SEC, and will become increasingly so. But as we've talked about, there's been some real trends, right, where you start to see certain groups of words pop up in popularity, right, and then they disappear almost as fast as they came. I mean, you you and I have highlighted that a number of times, Nick.
2: Yeah. So uh, 10K language trends, now that you know we're you know coming up to the to the close of so there are very interesting, and you see uh, very strong growth in almost anything related to ESG topics. For example, if you look at uh, what would happen if you were to convert the U.S. electric grid to to provide all of the requirements for transportations from from uh, uh, hydrocarbons? The amount of copper that is required is absolutely insane, right? So obviously, that is something that is um, that is a, a, a material. Whether you're a utility company or a copper company, right? So it's it, you, you really see the kind of the ripple effects of, of these, these big trends that, that are happening. And uh, then sometimes uh, you have step increases in disclosures just because of a requirement that came into place uh, this year. So for example, 2021, we had the enhanced human capital disclosures, right? And I, just for fun, I did a exact match our most valuable asset, right? And uh, uh, it it went to about 60 10Ks this year, and there was uh, around 10 to 12 in the prior years, you know, pretty consistently. And now, uh, what is our most valuable asset? I'm not aware of any company that has ever said that their employees are not their most valuable asset. Our employees are our third most valuable asset or something like that. But obviously, uh, uh, you you see those step changes that are are in response to some kind of uh, uh, reporting requirement change. Uh, I think, in general, people should. Be, that's obviously everybody knows about it. But I think the kind of the softer, gradually growing trends are are more interesting.
0: Nick, let's move beyond the ten k now and maybe talk about GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles. Um, I know that you know that I'm an accounting enthusiast, so you're always very respectful about accounting and so forth. But but maybe this is an opportunity for you to bust loose a little bit. The three of us were talking the other day about the astonishing difference between price and book value. In some cases as high as five to one meaning that the price the market is willing to pay for a company is five times higher than the accounting value on the books i know that investors price companies differently from how accountants ascribe value but five to one is a huge gap and so pardon the pun but does this gap mean that gap generally accepted accounting principles is still stuck in its awkward teenage phase and we just can't get it out i mean what, what, what's the difference? What's going on here? Before Nick answers, let me clarify for our audience that when we talk about price to book, we're talking about the difference in the market price of a company as calculated by their stock price versus the book value, which is the accounting value of a company based on their financial statements. These two things actually are often different, and Nick's going to break down why.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the 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 average price to book for the S and P five hundred is four point eight to one. In other words, the market is paying almost five times the book value of the companies. Right, so that alone is telling you you have some kind of a pretty major problem. Right, <laughs> you're you're reporting a number that nobody necessarily uh, 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 takes into consideration. You look at the largest market capitalization companies. You know, you have Apple is at like over thirty price to book, and you know Google is at eight. Uh, Facebook is at six, Amazon is at 12 times. Uh, you need to get to the banks to get closer to like one times uh, 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 a price to book. And I'm not going to be invited ever again, but I'm going to say it. Accounting is mostly fiction. And uh, <laughs> obviously, that's the wrong audience for that. But I, I will say it just because almost everything you read is fiction. The cash on the balance sheet, A, is old, B, has Forex. See, you have paid out dividends, interest, etc. in the in the forty five days or whatever it is since it was reported, right? Uh, depreciation is fiction. Uh, it's probably accurate for cars and computers or like UPS trucks and so on. But you know, you walk around Manhattan. Uh, you know, I, I, if, if you know you, you'll be institutionalized if you walk into a, a hundred year old building and want to buy it for zero because it's depreciated, right? <laughs> you'll be left out of the room. So when when you think about those gap. Uh, 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 limitations and uh, uh, it, it really, the standards really do a bad job at capturing intangible values, right?
1: I'm glad you bring this up because I've been wondering how do you account for certain things that we hear about in the news? So, like when Nike signs a celebrity endorser, how do you value something like that? I mean, there's probably a contract value to sign somebody like Michael Jordan, but then What's the value of what they can deliver in terms of sales?
2: Exactly. So nobody knows. Uh, uh, and specifically, even endorsement contracts, which are liabilities, are not on the balance sheet. So if you, if specifically, you know, talking about Nike, if you, if you read their their uh, uh, latest balance sheet, there is a line that says commitments and contingencies. You go and look at that in in the footnotes. Their endorsement liability is. Um, Over $8 billion. And for scale, their EBITDA last year was 7.7. So it's a one-third of EBITDA leverage that you're adding by having that endorsement contract. So should it be part of the enterprise value somehow? Well, maybe it should be. Uh, uh, Should it be on the balance sheet? Well, yes, stuff like this happens, right? If you remember, Steve, uh, 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 retailers had to bring in the leases on their balance sheet, so they had the right of use uh, uh, as an asset, and then you had the liability. So, so that sort, these sort of things are simply not very properly accounted for. Like advertising is expensed. Now, should it be? Well, I don't know. R and D is expensed unless you buy it, <laughs> then then it grab some value. So, so I th- I think these are necessary assumptions, but they lead to these sort of. Uh, uh, really gross
1: distortions And this episode would be grossly distorted if we didn't take a quick break to hear from our sponsor We will be right back with Nick Mazing in just a moment
3: Today's episode of Off the Books is brought to you by Workiva Author Stephen King is famous for lots of novels including It, Pet Cemetery, The Shining, and that one you left at an airport Qdoba but can't remember the name of but it was good What's interesting about Stephen King is lots of things, and also that he writes all his novels by hand, like writes them out, pen and paper, carpal tunnel, the whole thing. To me, that's insane. For anyone that's ever used a computer, that's completely bonkers. We have made advances past that already, yet Stephen King keeps doing his King thing that way. Dear listener, you are not Stephen King, I am sorry to tell you. You have deadlines and audit committees and bosses and outside auditors and the SEC breathing down your neck. That's why it's time to take your accounting and compliance work out of the pen and pencil dark ages of Microsoft Word and Excel and into today. Here's Kiva automate the useless stuff and spend more time on what's important. No more pencils down. Link critical data from point to point and keep working right up until they tell you not to anymore. Plus, work anywhere you need to be. Home, the office, or room 237 at the Overlook Hotel. After all, all work and no play makes you a dull person. Yes, Workiva, it just makes sense. Come play with us forever and ever and ever. Check out workiva.com slash podcast to learn more and to see a demo. That's workiv acom slash podcast.
1: We are back with Nick Mazing who just explained to Steve why accounting is
0: fiction. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I just need to point out that my self-esteem is not compromised. Uh, the least bit of this conversation, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were slamming Ohio state today. Accounting is fiction. Next week. We're going to be talking about Pepsi. It's okay. I can hang with all of it. Um, Here's the thing that I keep thinking of as, as an accountant is that, fair value, which is really what we're talking about, you know, what is the price at which this this asset can be sold? Fair value is generally a concept that has been shunned by accounting strictly because of how difficult it is to A, determine, and how differences in comparability from one period to the other can make it very hard to find utility in the financial statements. And and, and I I bring that up to ask, would you agree, though, that there's a benefit to say that, well, even if we don't think that accounting today gives us current fair value because we know the basis upon which it, 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 it was calculated, so historical cost, users of that information can then make their own assumptions in order to determine what they think the value is? That's kind of the, the, the first question I would ask. And maybe the second, if you'll indulge me for a second, is that when you look at price to book... My understanding is always that as an investor, I'm investing because of what I foresee as the future potential. So I start with what today's value is, and then I think, hey, I think this is going to perform well. It's going to go up. So when you start to see things, I, I, again, I said a price-to-book uh, difference as high as 5 to 1. 5 to one's the average, as you just shared, sometimes as high as 38. Well, then I guess what I'm thinking as an investor is, hey, I think there's actually a 38 times upside, let's just call it. I'm not saying that very well. I mean, I mean, how do you sort of reconcile those two points that I'm making, Nick, with, I think, a very valid point that you're making overall is that, hey, maybe this information isn't as useful as accountants think that it is.
2: I think investors live with, and, you know, have to live with the assumptions that are uh, native to accrual accounting, right? So you have to make a lot of assumptions uh, regarding a lot of things, you know. Example, very high profile example is General Electric, right? They had long-term uh uh care liabilities long-term insurance long-term care insurance liabilities that they were there was a whistleblower case with the Marov guy markopoulos right uh and it turned out that they were under reserved exactly for this sort of long-term thing so is it going to matter eventually well maybe it will maybe it won't but the the assumptions are are one thing now what do sophisticated investors do to account for that delta is is a very different thing so if you look at uh, uh kind of broadly intangibles patents, culture, network effects, uh brand we already discussed, and so on. You look at culture, uh, you have sophisticated investors that are uh mining uh Glassdoor reviews for different dimensions of culture like teamwork or results orientation or some some of the others. And you know they do maps and they try to map out okay this is a this is a um uh, uh, these are relevant measurements of, of culture and uh, not necessarily assigning a dollar value, right? Uh, brand valuation is obviously, has been around forever, right? Every year there is like uh, inter-Republican cantar. They put out the most valuable brands in the world. They have certain methodologies. You you could add that to the book value, probably should, right? Uh, so there, people have to, meaning investors, have to account for all those things that Gap doesn't account for, for Whatever reason, and it is happening. Uh, you see people that are, and you, you see it in the market. Companies that have uh, network effects, right? Like Amazon, right? Why are you buying on Amazon? Because everybody's selling on Amazon. Why is everybody selling on Amazon? Because everybody's buying on Amazon, right? Uh, Facebook, why are you on Facebook? Well, everybody's on Facebook, and so on, right? That's uh, or you know, WhatsApp, Instagram, etc. Et Those things are completely intangible, right? Like how do you how do you account for network effect?
0: it's a very very interesting question and, and and an axiom that i would use in financial reporting actually is that often in fact most of the time consistency is better than accuracy and and maybe where we land here nick is that perhaps the accounting profession sees so much risk in starting to monkey and change you know mix up some of these things in order to not jeopardize the consistency that while maybe inelegant investors and others have been able to sort of deal with to still make you know somewhat
2: rational investing decisions no gap is used by companies themselves pretty widely so if you look at something like fairness opinion right in an m a transaction very often there is a document that has a fairness opinion in an independent bank that says hey you know this is a fair transaction what do they use they use ev EBIT to ebda ebda if you have read any footnote you know ebda is not a gap measure obviously sometimes it gets a little bit more in the sausage territory with adjusted ebda and so on but it is not a gap measurement uh, you look at the entire SaaS sector, it is not valued at any gap metric. They're valued at ARR, annual recurring revenue, at whatever, you know, the time period. The, their uh, investors are looking at uh, DBNR, dollar-based net retention. They're looking at churn, customer lifetime value, and so on. Uh, Oil oh, and gas, PV10. What is PV10? Well, go and read a 10K, but it's a measurement of reserves. It says no gap, right? And yet, people care about it really, really deeply. You look at biotechs, hundreds of biotechs that are burning cash, zero revenue, and yet some are worth, you know, hundreds to billions of dollars, right? What's going on? Well, the accounting value is completely irrelevant because people are looking, okay, what are the odds of this specific drug progressing through, you know, the three phases? What is the potential end market? Can we discount it back, right? And it's a bunch of PhDs doing that. So, (laughs) you know, I I wouldn't want to compete with them, but it's, you know, uh, these are all examples where non gap really drives what is happening. Whether it's a border probe of a deal, or uh, investors looking at biotech stocks that are completely, you know, on an accounting basis, they're just, you know, there's there is burning cash and there's nothing there. Because uh, like each of these things, you can dig much deeper and, you know, but, uh, but uh, you know, I, I I think I think it's fun to to argue with people that their profession is fiction.
0: Well, again, my, my self-esteem is not is not compromised in the least, but what is also fun is our closing question of the day.
1: Sure, Well you we were talking a little bit about book value, I wanna know, what is the asset you value the most that is worth way more than its book value?
2: <laughs> I mean, children are a, a, a huge long-term liability but uh it's certainly it's certainly something that i value probably the most in the world
0: well you 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 stole my answer nick i wholeheartedly agree and if i had to choose something different i would say that what i value far beyond its book value is the chuck norris calendar that hangs just over my right shoulder this is an audio podcast our listeners can't see it i bought it as a joke a year ago I've gotten so many comments about it. It's got some funny sayings on it about Chuck Norris. I laugh every time I see it. It's worth way more to me than the 13 bucks that I spent on it, and I'm excited to, to do it again next year. Catherine, how about you?
1: <laughs> I can't beat either of those answers. Those are really good. I was gonna say paintings by my grandpa.
0: Hey, nice. that's a great one. Got
1: some in my home, so.
0: That's wonderful. Catherine, that was a good one. It's always good to catch up with McMazing. Did we learn anything?
1: I learned that if I want to tick you off, I should say accounting is fiction. But I think I also learned a little bit about how accountants have to factor in not just hard numbers, but some things that can't always be quantified, like the value of a celebrity endorsement.
0: Well, you're exactly right. As I said, uh, for many years in my career, accounting is not black and white. There's a whole lot of gray. And I think Nick actually just highlighted perhaps maybe more gray areas that perhaps weren't even on our radar. And with my accounting self-esteem fully intact, we thank you, dear listener, for joining us today. I'm Steve Soder. That was Catherine Sy. And this has been Off the Books presented by Workiva. Please subscribe, leave a podcast review, Tell your buddies if you like the show, and feel free to drop us a line at offthebooks at workiva.com. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave.